the phenotype of, of what's expected to indigenous people can be very different than what indigenous people look like. My mother's family is Kambeba. It's quite surprising when I say that, and it's actually quite surprising that people don't know that there are different colors of indigenous, like skin color as well. My indigenous relatives are in Solimões, so deeper the Amazon, already close to Colombia and Peru, and I didn't grow up there. I didn't grow up with the Kambeba heritage. So it's also very complex when you rediscover, you reclaim your indigenous heritage and to get to know and better understand your roots, basically. I do think it's quite, it's quite strong. It's quite a, a strong process. Hello, Clever Harvest Tribe, and welcome back to season six, episode 11. Today, we're going to be traveling in between Brazil and Germany a little bit. We have someone who has been a Clever Hybrid since day one, Ana Rosa de Lima. Thank you for the invitation. It's very nice to be talking to you and to all the people listening to your podcast as well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I really love having Brazilians on the podcast because when we hear about Latin America, we usually focus on the Spanish-speaking countries, but people don't realize how big and diverse Brazil is. Like I was looking up some of the things just again to refresh my memory. It's the fifth largest country in the entire world, number one. And it's bigger than the U.S. If you don't count Alaska and Hawaii, it's bigger. Can you give us like a breakdown of what are some of the different biomes or different cultures in Brazil? Wow, we have I think around five or six biomes in Brazil. I'm originally from Fortaleza, from Ceará, so the northeast of Brazil. So. Caatinga, Serrado, and Mata Atlântica were my three biomes. Yeah, and what are those three biomes like? I know the Cerrados, like savanna, it looks almost like National Geographic African savanna. When I looked it up, I was like, what? That's in Brazil? Okay. <laughs> Caatinga is quite dry, so we don't have so much water. We have cactus. When you think about Brazil, generally you think first about the Amazon. Well, that must be really weird. I'm just thinking about it in my American mind. I'm thinking, okay, like you're going through a nice temperate forest, kind of like they have in California. Then you're in the American Southwest and then it's like, boom, rainforest. And you had mentioned in a post not that long ago on LinkedIn that you have some indigenous roots as well. So tell us a little bit about that. How are indigenous people treated in Brazil? What has your experience been like? Yeah, I mean, I do think it's quite um, important to see the complexity of the uh, racial situation in, in Brazil because the phenotype of, of what's expected to indigenous people can be very different than what uh, indigenous people look like. My mother's family is Kambeba. It's quite surprising when I say that. And it's actually quite surprising that people don't know that there are different colors of uh, indigenous, like skin color as well. My indigenous relatives are in Solimões, so deeper the Amazon, already close to Colombia and Peru. And I didn't really grow up there. I didn't grow up with the Kambeba heritage. So it's also very complex when you rediscover, you reclaim your indigenous heritage and to get to know and better understand your roots, basically. I do think it's quite, it's quite strong. It's quite a, a strong process. And for me, it was in a way of a coming back 
already. These simply kind of get to know people that simply speak like my grandfather. At the same time, I took very long until I found out which indigenous people exactly were my relatives. Most of my cousins are Kambeba leaders that I didn't know because I kind of lost the contact with my grandfather's family for a while. I always had this curiosity, but at the same time, this connection was lost. A few years ago, I met in Apurina from the Apurina indigenous community. And she told me very clear that she could feel my indigenous energy and that I should claim that for myself. This woman, Kawa Purina, was very strong on my coming back as well. She always motivated me to go meet my people. And I have to say, like, I always thought that it would be much, much harder to find my, uh, my indigenous relatives. And actually, it was not at all. <laughs> it was actually super easy. All my relatives uh, who still live in Al-Solimans have very clear that they are either Kambeba or Kokama. And then I was meeting some uh, Kambeba leaders uh, for my work. I was there with my mom and the, the indigenous leader, the husband of the indigenous leader, is, was my mother's cousin. And his father, who was there with him, recognized my mom. Uh, and say, oh, I lived at your father's house very long. You were a kid and, and like very surprised. I really didn't expect to be that easy. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. We'll get into how you're actually using those connections for your work now. But first, let's talk about how this girl who's living her next to three biomes, ends up in Germany. So what's the story? How did you get from there to over here? I had a, a scholarship, pretty much. So I got a scholarship uh, when I was doing my studies back in 2012, 2013. And I came here and I went back to Brazil, finished my studies. And um, Brazil was uh, in the middle of an economic crisis that led to a political crisis that, that we saw. So I couldn't find a job. And at the same time, I got offered a job in Germany. And of course, I didn't had to think twice. While I was working at the university here, I tried to keep my roots quite strongly. I was just talking too much English and German in my everyday life. And I was like, oh, no, I need to, 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 to be able to... Um, yeah, interact more in Portuguese. <laughs> I started a podcast a little bit like, like you, I guess. <laughs> and I invited friends that I knew from back home. My friends were all from the North and Northeast, most of them at least, but mostly people from the Southeast. I listened to podcasts in Brazil and somehow I realized that I was doing something that not many people were doing, even though I was in Europe, but I was connecting with a region in Brazil that doesn't have a lot of visibility. So I started the podcast in 2017, I think. And then in 2019, a friend of mine was here in Europe. I asked him, hey, I used to be quite a strong lover of bees, especially stingless bees. My father is an agronomic engineer, so he showed me quite a lot on that regard since I was a kid. I asked, hey, do you want to do a a beekeeping workshop or something uh, with your Kaiapo community. And then we did a crowdfunding. And this crowdfunding was kind of what led to what Mali is nowadays. Yeah, that's a cool journey. It didn't even really start as 
being an organization, but it's blossomed into this great thing. With Melly Bees, I really like it because, of course, you're working with indigenous communities, but some organizations, they're trying to help, but they don't ask the people what they want. And it's just kind of like, you need to do this, eat better. And they're like, okay, but we can't grow this here. <laughs> Melly Bees is based on Meliponini Bees, which... You mentioned in another podcast you had earlier this year, they don't have any stingers and there's over 400 different kinds. So when you're setting up beehives in the communities, how is this helping the community? Of course, they have honey, but are they able to sell the honey? Does it help their crops? How does this benefit their community directly? These bees are native to, to, to actually all tropical and subtropical regions around the world. They are a strong part of indigenous culture, from the arrows to medicine for the babies and things like that. With this general idea of, of the bees, that at the same time that they go harvest their food, they do ecosystem service at the same time. So to have that connection of uh, social impact and environmental impact at the same time is kind of our vision, what we learned from the bees, so to say, or, or what the bees inspire us to do. So short after we did the uh, Meliponic Culture Workshop with the Kayapo, we saw, okay, we need to do more things. It cannot be only with bees. So 2021 was our first active year. And we had that very clear. We want to work not only with stingless bees, but we are inspired by them. Some communities say, no, we do produce here, it's just for our own food sovereignty. There's nothing wrong with it, in our opinion. Of course, we also support them if they want to, to, to sell and have another income stream. We are more than happy to support them on this journey as well. So we don't actually do any project beforehand. We listen to the communities. They apply for their projects and... Sometimes they simply send an audio message and, and kind of we write the projects together. So that's a little bit of what we do. We support them, write the projects they want, and we support them develop the projects they want. We are the first year of developing this program uh, style, and we are already working with the guys from Digital Democracy to have this methodology of listening to the audios and of course, we used audio listening and we send the messages to AI so the, the AI could structure the answers they send like in a seven-minute audio, structure the messages and have an, an end format how we want it. So it's actually something very interesting we are doing right now and we are very excited to, to go ahead with it. Food is the base of everything, right? Just in this workshop the other day, I met... One guy who said, oh, yeah, I'm from 1920. He doesn't know exactly which year he was born, but it's around uh, 100 years. And he would still work on the field and, and plant and stuff. And at the same time, we have many indigenous peoples that are in a younger generation and they are having diabetes, high cholesterol. All my aunts have diabetes. My grandma died with hypertension. And my cousin is blind because of diabetes. I see how food sovereignty is related to, to many, many things, including health. Yeah, I know in America and the U.S., 
Native Americans also have a similar problem where they've gotten used to having government-provided simple carbs and all these things that are really not good for humans to consume a lot of. One of the things that Melibis is doing is they're connecting this indigenous wisdom, like this this old man who probably knows more about the forest than anybody, and connecting them with academics to record this information. So how do you make sure that it's a partnership of equals and not just taking the information and be like, okay, thank you, goodbye. That's a big question. Like, and the revival, again, it's super important. We went to the, uh, the Araribaya indigenous territory now, uh, the Zuchiwa village, and we did a workshop with four indigenous communities and a few non-indigenous people as well. Guajajara, uh, Terena, Krao, Iquara. It was all about this revival. Agroforestry was a knowledge that was rooted on indigenous knowledge. We went there to listen to them. And as they say, like Francisco Neto Guajajara, he always says that he, he just listens to, to, to nature. He just pays attention to nature. And so that's the kind of thing they already do. So we need to really start with academics that have a clear mindset of supporting the community and building knowledge that somehow will contribute to the communities. We bring to the academics a question that the indigenous brought, because very often it's the opposite, right? So <laughs> the academics bring a question uh, to the indigenous. And I think this makes the entire difference when you have already a strong network with indigenous people, and they are so comfortable that they share with you uh, their questions, there's the moment when I think a partnership with the academic world can, can work. I think the important part that we do is that we strengthen the community leaders, and we do have a bunch of strong community leaders ready to be strengthened and ready to be supported and ready to maximize everything they do. My Goal is that I don't want to go so often to Brazil. I want the communities to have their leaders and to do their own projects and lead the work they are doing themselves. Yeah, so let's smelly bees in another way. You're pollinating different ideas and cross-pollination of thinking. I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say is the, the biggest challenge right now? Is it funding? Is it trying to make sure that people have enough information to continue forward on their own? What's the hardest part? I think funding is always a big problem because it is related to have a strong team as well. And I cannot do that myself alone. Of course, I have a very incredible team with me. Anna Paula, Silvia, Anna Beatriz. We are a collection of Ernest. So <laughs> Jonas, of course, Jonas Guajajara is in our team. And for those of you who are listening in corporate, you're thinking, okay, that sounds really cool. Is Melly Bees a nonprofit? What are some of the ways that you can donate as an individual corporation? Yeah, Melly is a nonprofit based in Germany. So uh, you can donate to us directly. You can follow us on social media, on LinkedIn. But I think the best way to get informed about us is with the newsletter. And... The best way to support us is with a monthly donation, of course. <laughs> yeah, so tax-deductible giving back. I like it. In the news, you see people planting trees, you're doing whatever, but this is 
grassroots as its finest. So I really applaud what you're doing. Thank you. Keep it up. If you want to be buddies with Ana Rosa, the best way, and that's how I found her on LinkedIn, is Ana Rosa de Lima on LinkedIn. She she blew my mind because she posts things about all these workshops that she's doing with nice pictures of people actually applying what they learn in the moment. But also the post is in English and Portuguese. So you're just like, my mind is completely blown and I'm learning. So... <laughs> Anna, if you're going to leave one final thought to maybe those that are behind you that are trying to make a difference in their community, what would you say just to encourage them a little bit? We as bilingual, we are always very often connected with two or more <laughs> parts, try to, to make this bridge. Yeah, as a clever hybrid, we have the privilege of the two languages, but we can be a cross-pollinator just like a bee to make sure everybody gets the best of both worlds. Great. <laughs> Thank you very much, Gabi. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And everybody, thank you so much for staying with us until the end. I hope you are feeling a little bit more interested in Brazil. Don't forget to check out the Melly Bees website to make a donation to help them into the first quarter of 2024. This is Gabby B signing off. We'll see you on the next one.